Today's reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he, is, he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by the Father. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace, I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This is the gospel of grace. Thanks be to God. May I speak in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. When I, wherever I travel, dear friends, I bring confusion. When I say I'm a Baptist bishop from Georgia, <laughs> my favorite story, story about it goes to Brazil, where I was visiting in 2006 to attend the World Council of Churches gathering and arrived there a couple of days earlier, so I would explore a little bit of the city, Rio de Janeiro. It was Saturday morning I arrived, but at the reception I found a letter from a local Baptist minister kindly inviting me 
next day to preach. So I braced myself and I, I accept the invitation. Um, this is one of the things characteristic for Baptist ministers. They never say no to the speaking opportunities. <laughs> so next morning I was fetched at the hotel and taken to a large Baptist church. And they had several services. There were at least uh, 1,000 people worshipping there. And as we entered the church, being escorted by the minister, an elderly gentleman, and moved to the altar, I could not help noticing <coughs> that the church was beautifully decorated with American flags. And while we were walking in the aisle, I whispered to the minister, why do you have these American flags? He said, we did it in your honor. <laughs> there was a wealthy American Georgian pastor visiting Brazil who could possibly strike a deal and work with them in the years to come. I come from a very small church and I come from a very small country. And if you ask me to show the country and the globe, I will put the finger on it and you will not see the country. <laughs> Needless to say, how delighted I am to be here with fellow brothers and sisters in God, in Christ, and in humanity. I was directed here by the Alliance of Baptists and I was told a lot of good things about your congregation and I am humbled and honored to be among you today. Today's reading is fairly well known to every church goer. But something that I would like to concentrate on is the promise of Jesus that he was going to send the Holy Spirit who will, would teach us forever. Somebody who has spent most of his life in education, uh, it sounds quite, quite normal, but to realize that learning process in religion is continuous and it never ends, it can be somewhat challenging. And it took me years and years to realize what does it mean the Spirit will teach you in the future? There were two stories which really helped me to understand Christian scriptures better than I used to understand. And this particular concept of continuous and never-ending learning and teaching. Being a student of Islamic studies, I come across of of a last sermon of Prophet Muhammad. And he says, I don't know, no, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I'm giving you my last sermon. And please, 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 it is called Sermon on Mount, Mount Arafat. 
What you hear me speaking, do pass it on to another generation and let another generation to pass yet another generation and other generation and other generation. And those who will hear last will understand me better than those who are sitting with me today. That is rather extraordinary. So the people who we are listening could not understand less and people who would listen to the sermon years and centuries later would understand it better. Another story comes from the Jewish tradition which has to do with Jewish Midrash. In the second century AD there was a great Jewish scholar, Rabbi Akiba, who was killed later on by Romans and was seen as a martyr of Judaism. And he was a fascinating Bible interpreter. He would use most creative ways to interpret the Bible in his generation. And the Midrash says that word about his wisdom reached the heaven and Moses up there was told about this scholar who was teaching the scriptures and Bibles and five books of Moses in a most extraordinary way. Moses could not resist temptation and came down sat in the class of Rabbi Akiva and started listening how he was interpreting the scriptures. When the class was over, Moses said, I did not understand a word. <laughs> Our gen generations who came after us, defeated us, they understand better what the Torah and the scripture meant than I, than I thought. Same must be true with our Christian gospel. We need to understand it better and better in every generation because the process, as we read, read out from the gospel, seems to be everlasting. You learn forever. You may not like to learn forever. Once you graduate from the university, you like to have a job and uh, get on with your life. But this process of spiritual journey never ends. I was, I was raised in a fairly conservative church. And for us, in the Soviet Union, it was impossible to think otherwise. We had never been challenged with different ideas. We had never had access to the scientific and scholarly learning of the Bible. And this is what we had. But we had to learn hard new lessons, new ways of interpreting scriptures in our own age and time. I was made bishop when I was 29 years old. And I think it was too early. I was too young, but the country and people saw that they, 
they wanted to have a new bishop, new blood into the veins of the church. So I was made bishop when I was 29 years old. Now I think I'm not being 29 years old any longer, think that that was a violation of human rights. <laughs> but see, I am. But my process of learning did not, did not finish at me being consecrated as a bishop of the church. There were several changes, challenges in my life, and all these challenges would usher me personally and the congregation, the community I am responsible for into a new dimension of spirituality. But the major challenge for us, for our congregation, came in, in 1999, in the, during the Russo-Chechnyan Wars. You have to know a little bit of geography to fully understand what I am talking about, but I'll, I'll give you a short geography lesson, if you don't mind. Georgia is a mountainous, fairly mountainous country, but it also has very fertile land to cultivate. In the north of Georgia, there is a land uh, which is equally mountainous. They've got beautiful rocky mountains, but land is not fertile. And therefore, people had to struggle, living in the, those mountains, had to struggle for centuries. But human beings have always been known for their creativity. And one of the means to support their families, our northern neighbors, um, was to develop economy, which was about kidnapping. They would, in the Middle Ages and later, they would come on horsebacks to Georgia, um, abduct some young lads and ladies, take them down to Istanbul slave market, sell them, and make the budget for their families. And even newer history of Georgia, we saw some atrocities committed by our northern neighbors, particularly Chechens. But it was Advent 1999 when uh, they, uh, they had to flee their country. Chechnya is a landlocked country and the only country they could flee was Georgia. So they came in thousands to Georgia. It was winter, Advent period, snow, a freezing cold in mountains. They would come through the mountainous passes to get to Georgia. And that was a time when the news reached our congregation in Tbilisi at the Peace Cathedral, um, telling us that um, Chechens were coming through the mountain passes. Some of them were dying. They, they had not enough clothing, uh, food, or water. And they were in, a, in an extreme situation. And then I asked the congregation, what shall we do? And there was a silence in the church. And in the midst of the silence, um, a lady stood up. Um, she was a sort of character, you may not know, some congregations may have the church characters. <laughs> so she raised his hand and said, the bishop, I've got an idea. We should cancel Christmas. And what we have for Christmas, we can give to the refugees. Easy. Obviously, we could not cancel Christmas. 
it's, it was too late. But um, something we decided, why don't we go for once out of, and out of general city of Christian heart, give something to the refugees. We went there to the, to the Pankisi Gorge, as it is called, where the refugees stayed, delivered some goods, blankets, and other things. And for the first time, we, we found out that these are traditional enemies who had been Muslims, were like us. They could cry, and they could laugh, and they were eager to tell all their stories of their suffering during the war. And suddenly we, we realized that we were falling in love with these people, with our enemies. We had a lengthy conversation, but when we were leaving the camp, we said, out of sheer politeness, something we, um, we usually do or say, if there is anything we can do, I'll never hesitate to ask. And they pro produced 10 pages long shopping list. <laughs> so I come home having this list and dreading to go to the church accountant. I know what the answer will be because we have no money. And then, having assured that we had no money, I, I do my first fundraising effort on the internet. And I write a letter to our friends, partners, colleagues around the globe saying that I need 500 US dollars to finish the shopping, to provide the uh, blankets and medicine and food, not for my congregation, not for my people, but for my enemies, enemies of our nation. So next morning, I go to my, my office, open email account, and see pledge for 15,000 US dollars. And next week, I go and I see more and more and more, and within two months, we had 250,000 US dollars. We wanted to help, to be honest, but not that much. <laughs> What do you do when you've got designated money for a particular project? And it pushed us to think very clearly, very carefully, imagining ourselves in their shoes, as it were. What would you like to happen to us if we had been kicked out from our country, left without homes and families and relatives, in a country which, um, which was um, different in culture and religion and uh, political orientation, and slowly started to think and found ourselves involved um, in relief work which continued for six years. And in the period, in this, in the, during this period, I, think, I often say that I became Christian while serving the Chechen refugees. I was already bishop. Uh, ordained bishop of the church. And we, we had to learn how to provide help and aid without strings being attached to it. 
without hidden agendas. And I was asked many a times, well, Brother Malchaz, when you go, do you distribute leaflets and Bible tracts and New Testament portions? Say, no, we don't. We do something which is even more important. We bring presence of love in the camp. And we give ourselves to them. And that was, a, I think, crucial time, the crucial moment for the congregation to realize that it is easy to preach unconditional love, but it is slightly more difficult to practice it. And once you start practicing it, you start it, you are growing. And there is no end to that growth. We started thinking, what should we doing to the refugees? And then we realized that these refugees, we are not the only group in the country that was suffering. There were Muslim groups that we are persecuted. There were members of the LGBTQ community that we are persecuted. And since we have experienced this practice of unconditional love, we could not turn blind eye to their suffering. And this process of continuous and everlasting love, learning, has become a part of our life and our legacy, I should say. It may be sometimes difficult to go to the territories that are unknown. It may be sometimes difficult to encounter groups we are not aware of. It is difficult to leave your comfort zone, but this is the only way to grow. This fascinating calling for everlasting learning in the Gospel of John is somewhat incomplete. It tells that we should be learning all the time under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But it implicitly means, it is not there, but it means that we should unlearn certain things. And I think for the decent and proper learning, unlearning is essential. We in Georgia had to unlearn hating Muslims, hating members of the LGBT community. We had to unlearn hating and fearing diversity. And this is my, my strong conviction, that once you embark on the journey of learning and you have a taste of the, and the beauty of learning, while you expand, while you see your heart being expanding and embracing and involving more and more people, you will experience the joy the Gospels have been talking about. Some time ago, Dalai Lama was saying that the world does not need successful people any longer. There are plenty of successful people around. But what the world needs is people with kind hearts. 
And the way to the kind heart goes through the process of everlasting learning and everlasting unlearning.